If you love true crime, this one's for you. Today we use the movie Dark Places to talk about the good, the bad, and mostly the bad aspects of true crime. Not gonna lie, we get feisty as we discuss what true crime is missing, the problem with Aaron's good friend Nancy Grace, and why enthusiasts miss a lot of details in their search for drama. Also, do I have a beard now? All that and more starts right now on Movie Briefs. Because it's devastating to my case! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You got into Harvard Law? What, like it's hard? By law, you're entitled. It's called disclosure, you dickhead. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! to movie briefs hello how are you doing good i we we've been shooting the shit for like an hour yeah we what's have. up we have i'm good i i'm still though blown away i know we talked about this 10 minutes ago but like we continue to match i know you guys can't see us mm. but it is endlessly hilarious that this is like the third or fourth episode in a row where it's very we've worn matching shirts color coordinated for an audio medium so yes. i just want you guys to know that's how hard we're trying i've also brought um my eat trash hail satan mug for this <laughs> I for this show. So this episode, like before we started the podcast, we had a list of like 50 something movies that were like, here's a bunch of different movies we can talk about. And here's uh, all kinds of avenues we can go down. And this will sure. be a jury one. And this will be a civil one, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Dark Places was not on that Listen, list. Here's the thing. I just I just when we were doing the last episode, we started talking about true crime and what a garbage pile it is. And I just feel like I don't know any other movie that really, really delves into what a garbage pile <laughs> true crime people are. Well, and I, I get it. It's not a good movie. It's no, not well, good. And that's what I want. Like, this is your brainchild. Not the, like, the idea for true crime. You watch wow. more true crime than I do. So you just want to get it out there. Yeah, I just want this is my know. fault just, and my choice. Yes. And I did this. Uh, yes, of course that's what I'm doing. How uncharacteristic of you. <laughs> No, no, say your piece. Go so, for it. Everyone, friends. Mm-hmm. Aaron loves dark places and said mm-hmm. we have to do it. And because I am an Ashley Judd fan, I was promised that she was in it. No, that's not true. And that it turns out that she's not. Again. Uh-huh. So anyway, that's why we did Dark Places. Because of you. Because you wanted to do this. I I did. I I are there not great things to talk about in this movie, legally speaking? This is the ugly coffee table book where you're just like, ooh, this is a great conversation piece. We should go through yeah. this page by page and talk about this dumpster fire of a movie. So it's not, I'm not saying this isn't going to, this is going to be a great show. Like, I'm pumped mm-hmm. because there's a lot more Satan involved than I thought I was getting into. I'm sorry about mystery. that. Well, don't apologize. Fantastic. But if it makes you feel any better, I saw this movie because I read this book, and it's also a trash heap of a book. <laughs> if, if that makes, you, and then I bought the movie on Amazon Prime because I just wanted to see what they did. Maybe they made it better, 
and they didn't. So <laughs> see, my all of my Gillian Flynn um, consumption has been mm-hmm. movies, and what that's to say, Gone Girl, because that's my wife's favorite movie. Like that's, that's her rough. comfort movie, which that's scares cool. the shit out of me. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, Do you think so, it's just because you get to see a little bit of Affleck's shaft in it, or <laughs> a, a very little bit? <laughs> The, very, the, the slipperiest the, sliver. Just, you know what? <laughs> anyway, the, all right. Different, different pod. We're not here to talk about Ben Affleck's shaft. We're here. Well, then say your piece and I'm done. We can just. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. On. We should leave. But no, like the, right. what, I, what I like about just the movie part of this is they were like, oh, that was really successful. Let's adapt another Gillian Flynn novel. And mm-hmm. in this in this case, let's do the novel. And I don't know how close it was to the book, but they're like, let's just make it boring as shit the mm-hmm. whole mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and it was very accurate. They succeeded with that to for the sure. to the book. Yeah, but in our defense, and really in your defense, because mm-hmm. I came on a little strong here at the beginning, you did say watch the movie, don't watch the movie, doesn't matter. We're going to talk about true crime, so we're going to break I down did. the movie and get into whatever legal aspects it has. But I don't think you will need. Like some other pods where we'd say, hey, pause, go watch the movie. No, please don't, actually. Yeah, like, I'm you begging don't, you. Don't, you do not need to see the movie to, like, you didn't need to do the reading for today's class. Let's right, exactly. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All but, right, so we're going to, we start out. Libby Day, young Charlize Theron. Can we, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt yes. already. The cast in this movie is stupid good. Yeah, I know. I like, think I think they were like, oh, it's a Gillian Flynn book. Like, let's let's go all out. It's it's so good. Here's the cast: Charlize Theron, Nicholas Holt, Christina Hendricks, Chloe Grace Moretz, Corey Stoll, yes. Ty Sheridan. What's up? My favorite guy ever, Sean Bridgers. I love Sean Bridgers. Really, out of nowhere? No, a Deadwood. Okay, yeah, but like, he's, I. Oh yeah, no, he's fantastic. He's also okay. in the TV show Get Shorty, and he's. Oh, I never saw the TV show Get Shorty. It's great. All right, okay. Um, and then, for no reason at all, Drea DeMatteo. Like, there's a bunch of yeah. names in this movie. Mm-hmm. Which makes me sad, because it's not good. It's not good. It's but not anyway. good. But anyway. The, but the, listen, there's a lot of... We're not going to go through it, like, scene by scene. But the very first scene, you have her in a hospital gown as an eight-year-old child. Um, her family has been murdered her mom and her two sisters have been murdered and you've got somebody asking her questions, assumedly still in the hospital due to gown. Yes. And somebody is asking, somebody is saying, what you're about to tell us is very important. Did Ben kill your mom and sisters? Worry, you were in the house when it happened. Just a statement, just telling it, just reminding her that she was there. Yep. So tell us he killed them, didn't he? Okay, I let's let's unpack all the problems. This is this is one of the largest actual legal issues we're going to talk about today, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you have been on both sides of the criminal I defense have. table. So, as a prosecutor, I'm just curious what your history is with <laughs> young children witnesses. Oh, I have a long history with young children witnesses. That's what I figured. So I developed a reputation for being the person to do the trial when you had young children witnesses, and I am a trained child forensic interviewer. Did you know that? I'm certified. I did, I did not know that. Yep, I can Boy, talk to your kids. This podcast just got way cooler. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> walk us through that. I mean, I there, there's a lot of 
ins and outs of when you talk to them, how you talk to them. Uh, being able to judge credibility is really mm-hmm. difficult. So c- kind of take us through what, how you not only became trained, but what goes into that whole thing. Well, you just go to a course and that's how you do it. Um, and there are different kinds of child forensic interviewing courses. There Way to are, make that uh, sound hard. <laughs> Way to just, well, you just well, go to it's a course. Not, I mean, it's not that hard. You just you go to a training and then at the end they're like, there you go, you did it. Um, but there are different ones. So there are different, uh, now I'm forgetting but what they're called, but disciplines or, or, or schematics for how it's done. So there are different kinds of child forensic interviewers and they're all pretty much the same. They're just different brands, like different companies making money sure. basically with their, um, copyrighted way to interview kids. But, you know, it, it depends on the age of the kid. You don't interview a four-year-old like you'd interview an eight-year-old, like you'd interview a 12-year-old. Um, it depends the the cultural background of the child, the language background of the child, um, like all those kinds of things should go into should factor in when you're talking to a kid. But the 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 big thing across the board, no matter what kind of what you know brand of child forensic interviewer you are, what kind of kid you're talking to, you don't suggest to them anything. Like you you start out, you talk to them about just normal shit. Hey, how's your day going today? Sort of things. What did you do yesterday? What did you have for breakfast? That sort of thing, just to kind of establish, A, a comfort with the kid that you're talking to, um, and also just kind of a barometer for, for, you know, a base level for their language abilities, for kind of where they're at and how comfortable they are talking to you, what kind of words they use, that sort of thing. Um, And then usually, usually a lot of these things happen in a family, so you can go into something like, hey, who's who's in your family? Who lives with you? Let's talk about everybody. At some ages, you might be like, hey, let's draw them. A lot of times there's sure. drawings involved. Okay, you know, we've drawn daddy, we've drawn... And then you get, you get a sense for what they call everybody in their family, because that can be different. Nona might be mom to one kid and grandma to another kid, that kind of thing. Right. So you, maybe you draw everybody and you talk about them, what they look like, what they're like, and then you say, you know, should we put an angry face on daddy or a happy face on daddy sort of things. Um, but you, you wouldn't want to ask it like that. Um, if you need to list something, you say, would you do this, that, or something else, so that they have the option to say something else. Because if... You say two things in your question to a kid, they're going to pick one. Right. And if, if it's a third thing, they, they're not going to, they're just going to pick one of the two things you said. You know, that kind of stuff. Well, um, with an eight-year-old, because I, mm-hmm. I, I think this is an age where I've at least seen more interviews with this sort of seven to nine range. Mm-hmm. Because I know there's a lot, there's a lot of difficulty in much younger than that, not just in memory retention or language skills or simply the ability to understand the truth. Not that the child is inherently lying, but you know, they don't recall. So they're, they're going to fill in the blank for you. Mm -hmm. Seven and nine seems to be where I see a little, um, I guess I would say more targeted attempts to get testimony that you would get to use in a case and really have credibility behind it. And I thought it was incredibly funny because I've dealt with this mostly in sexual assault type cases, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure you've done me too. way more than me. But I was taken aback in this scene. We'll talk about the location in a minute, but the leading question style mm-hmm. of the questions, which is wrong and you shouldn't do it. But I have seen multiple interviewers do this. Mm-hmm. I've run motions and trials to try and get... Me too. 
to get this testimony excluded because you sit there and go, well, this interviewer, which is typically a social worker, in my experience, I haven't mm-hmm. had uh, an interviewer, a prosecutor is there. The way that they've been done, in my experience, is they take them to a room, usually at social services. A social worker is working with them, and then behind a mirror, you would have law enforcement and, and potentially right, the district right. attorney mm-hmm. sort of guiding the interview in a way that the social worker would get to the information that law enforcement finds to be relevant. But I've seen multiple different social workers and interviewers use these leading types of questions where they say things like, when he touched you, where was it? And Mm -hmm. when this happened, tell me how bad it was. Using that kind of language. So as much as I want to look at this scene and say, absolutely not, that doesn't happen, that's insane... Oh, it does happen. It happens all the time. And that's mm-hmm. where you call into, like, the, the problem with that is, at least I see it from, from a defense standpoint, is I'm not necessarily trying to say that the child is lying, but the information becomes inherently unreliable mm-hmm. because of what you just said, which is if you don't give a kid a choice or you give them one of two, mm-hmm. they're going to they're gonna fill in the blank because children have this inherent uh, sort of desire to please whoever they're talking to, especially right. adults. So and, and so do adults. I mean, everybody has yes. that. Kids yeah, just have it more. And yeah. this person, whoever was interviewing her, I mean, they fucked up at the beginning. Like, when when you say to a child what you're about to tell us, it already suggests you have to tell me something or I'm going to be unhappy. Right. So what you're about to tell us, now the child is like, okay, I have to tell you something. You expect me to tell you something. So if the answer is, I don't know, I don't remember anything, I didn't see anything, goodbye, that answer is now out the window. The kid's going to tell you that she saw something because you've just told her that she's about to tell you that. And and you've told you've told her that she did see something. You right, know? exactly. What you're about to tell us. So there's an expectation there. And then is very important is another one because then it's like, okay, I have to tell you this and it's extremely important. Like now, now I'm listening. And then it's did Ben kill your mom and your sister? So it's like, okay, now as a child, I know I'm supposed to tell you the, the right answer is Ben. You've already told me that. Right. You know, so, and, and this, it does, it does happen all the time. And, um, and I think that plays into a discussion we'll have probably a little later when we start actually talking about true crime and the mm-hmm. grease fire that that is, is, interrogation and questioning and the investigation becomes incredibly important because questions like that quickly turn from being a quest for literally, I just want to know things. I want to know Mm -hmm. facts. Like every investigation should start from something happened. I need to know what that's the only thing I care about to, I now have an idea. So let me confirmation bias the shit out of that idea Mm -hmm. in these questions. And the other thing is, by the time this person, in the real world, I know we said we were going to talk about the setting, but obviously you don't do that at the hospital right after this person has been through a traumatic event, whether it's an adult or a child. But by the time that child gets to the forensic interview, so the forensic interviewer knows not to ask, did Ben kill your mom and dad, right? Because that's suggestive. But by the time that kid has gotten to the interview, somebody has probably asked him or her, did Ben kill your mom and dad, whether that's cop or a family member or a friend or a foster parent or who who knows that person's been out there with civilians for two or three days somebody's asked them the question so even if you have a perfect forensic interview that's not suggestible often the kid has already been you know tainted in some way and and that's a hugely (laughs) difficult part of having children be witnesses 
with anything. Uh, I run into it a lot, especially over COVID. I, I, unfortunately, people got very bored and made really bad decisions and, and restraining orders became an extremely busy part of what was happening right. in the courts and things either happening in front of children or things happening to children. And, you know, judges in that setting were really hesitant to use child witnesses if we didn't have to. You know, there mm -hmm. was always a question before I did any of those hearings, the judge would say, I see on your witness list you have three minors. Do you think we need them? And most of the time, but like I, I my desire is always to not use kids if I don't need to use kids, mm -hmm. particularly in a family law setting. Criminal law is a little different. That's you have elements you need to yeah, prove up yeah. and you, you you get, you know, handcuffed into saying, I have no choice. This nine-year-old, this six-year-old, this 11-year-old has to take the stand. Right. But it's it's a really difficult thing, even when you're cross-examining them as nicely as you possibly can, you begin, you know, I've noticed in my experience, you begin to sort of not necessarily call them on an inconsistency or at least point out or ask them something like, hey, did anyone else talk to you before you spoke to, you know, this particular interviewer? And they want to please you. They they want to have a conversation yeah. with you. And so mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm cross-examining Aaron, I've got my entire cross, you know, kind of planned out. It's going to be a lot of leading questions, if not exclusively leading questions. I'm going to draw you to the points I want to make, and then I'm going to be done. Mm -hmm. So I can sort of be as curt with you as I want to be. With a kid, it's really difficult to do the leading question thing because there's there's not an understanding by them of confirming a truth. It's mm -hmm. just, hey, yeah, I want to agree with the guy because I like him and I, I'm trying to be nice and or whatever. And it's it's a really difficult and, and problematic area when you're when you're trying to actually suss out facts mm -hmm. of what happened. There's thousands and thousands of studies. And if you talk to a prosecutor, they will refer you to all of the studies that tell you that children always tell the truth and that yep. forensic interviewing works. And if you talk to a defense attorney, they will refer you to all of the studies that say that it doesn't. And it's 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 just a really difficult, difficult area. Yes. And but there's no anyway. and there's there's no way to kind of sidestep it. So anyway, yes, that is, you know, it's a huge issue, but it's not going anywhere because if. What do you do? Kids something. see things. Sometimes kids are the only witnesses, which is what happened here. Yeah. Like Libby's the sole survivor of her mom and all her siblings, except for one, Ben, the one that's suspected of killing everybody, got murdered. And she's the only one they can ask about it. And sometimes, so. like you said, if they're that that's the only witness, I could see people watching this and going, well, they're not just going to rely on eyewitness testimony. Oh, yeah, they will. Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. You know, 100%. There, there's not, you know, this the CI or the CSI obsession with there's always DNA evidence. There's always forensic evidence. There's always ballistics. There's always absolutely not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes witness testimony is all you have to go on, which is why it's incredibly important when we get to the true crime conversation about witnesses, particularly adult witnesses that enjoy being part of the show. Right. Right. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. So we've got Libby. She's all grown up now. Um, She's now Charlize. People are sending her money to support her, um, but the money's drying up. So, like, basically, when she was the little girl who was the sole survivor of the massacre, people would send her checks 
to, like, help her out. And she's talking to her money guy, and the money guy's like, hey, there's no more money because people want to support little girls, and you're not a little girl anymore. And I only bring this up because it just really underscores for me, like, this the true crime phenomenon of, like, it underscores that these are real people that people don't understand are, like, are real people. They have ideas of these people being, like, characters in a drama that they've watched or or a mystery that they can solve, and not, like, a real person who's getting these envelopes of checks and using them to like get her car out of the impound. Like it's just, it's, it's nuts. You know, they, yes. I don't know. I don't know. No. Well, it, it, let's just, <laughs> maybe now's a good time to talk about kind of how we're using this to, to buttress the true crime conversation, because ultimately this movie's about, as you said, this woman who witnessed this thing and she's sort of supported by the economy of mm-hmm. the public. She's, she doesn't really work. Uh, anything she's obviously experienced huge trauma when she Mm -hmm. was eight because at the backbone of this is whether her testimony was accurate Mm -hmm. is not relevant to the fact that her family was killed with her in the house that happened regardless of who did it so she's living with that trauma no matter what then she's also living with the trauma of truth or not my testimony is what put my brother in prison forever so Mm -hmm. there's all of that and you know, one of my biggest problems with the true crime, not just explosion, because it's been around forever. I mean, Truman Capote did it, you know, In Cold Blood's a true crime book. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, this isn't a new thing, but I think with streaming and with sort of guerrilla journalism and fo- filming things on your phone, it just becomes cheaper, easier, you know, podcasting. This is not a whole, what we're doing today doesn't cost us a whole lot. So right, it's right. easy It's easy to make the content. But it, it's, it romanticizes a lot or dramatizes a lot of these terrible, terrible, terrible things. And I, I think you put it so perfectly when you say they just become characters to the public. Because ultimately, when the movie is over, you walk out of the theater. Mm-hmm. And when the job is over, Kate Winslet is no longer flirting with Eli Wallach. And she goes mm-hmm. back to her regular life and the holiday is over. That is not the case here, and it's but it's still treated like that for everybody who's not in that case, right? And I I don't know how to consolidate that because there are good things, right, that come out of true crime. You know, mm-hmm. there are there, there's a focus put on potential injustices. There's focuses put on the criminal justice system, but just like in this case, I I, I think what ultimately bothers me with this movie is you have the the cult that they're eventually we're going to talk about like mm-hmm. this underground true crime we're investigators we solve crime that's what we do people are doing it wholly outside of any actual understanding mm-hmm. of how the process works and that's what true crime bothers me the most like my biggest bugaboo yeah. is exploiting and abusing the public's already fragile understanding mm-hmm. of how the criminal justice system works. Yeah, and 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 then that and then those people go sit on juries. Yes, exactly. And and we're we're recording this. I'm sorry, it's it's hard to find my words because I I don't want to make this a Kyle Rittenhouse um, podcast episode. But we're doing this. We're recording this on the day that that verdict came down, and it's been a wild day on Twitter of mm-hmm. of people who are clearly true crime addicts, obsessives. Talk, screaming out legal theories. This person should sue this person. This he should now sue 
the president. It's this I saw. person's fault. This is why. Yeah. This is you know. There's a lot of blame going around on like. And a lot of that you can point to making a murderer or mm-hmm. the Nancy Grace show or <sighs> like like the Nancy Grace show is is almost wholly responsible for people looking at someone and going, oh, he didn't, this person didn't smile or this woman didn't laugh for three days, therefore whatever. And you just sit there and you say like, look, you don't understand what, like that's not guilt or innocence, you know? And I'm not saying that to... (laughs) Cole just saw me reach for my signed copy of... Murder in the Courthouse by Nancy Grace. I, I'm Nancy, so glad it was within arm reach. That was it like, was that is. in a holster? It always is. I sleep with it under my pillow. Sure. Which, which Nancy Grace spite signed for me personally. Um, <laughs> because I had a personal, she had a personal problem with me. And so she personally signed this. Oh, that's fantastic. So that's what was it. When you visited, that was what it was in the briefcase. That, that yes, had the yeah, locks I always, I always. I always, that was so the, I always have it handcuffed to my wrist. Um, yeah, I the tell time you what, that I, Nancy, Nancy. I feel better about it because I was very concerned about you in general. But uh-huh. uh, well, since you got a spite book, you want to do your Nancy Grace minute? I don't know. I just, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's much different than what you you just said. But I, I think that the the I feel like we treat true crime on television. I, I feel like we treat crime on television like it's sports. Yep. Like a a quote unquote commentator or or you know pundit will will pick a case. They pick a case and then they call it like fucking sports. And it's not okay. And it's not accurate. And right. and the thing that that really bothers me are are people like Nancy Grace who are attorneys who who started out you know, as a DA or as, right. you know, you know, one of us. And then they get up there and just completely ignore the implications on jury pools of blowing a case up like this. Well, and you mentioned this on the, the Devil's Advocate episode, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, exactly what I thought we'd talk about today. But when you said, you know, one of the best lines, especially on a high profile case in that movie is, hey, jury selection started in every living yeah. room in New York today. Yep. That is 100% accurate, and mm-hmm. you know, to your point, when you get these cases, it's you're purposely poisoning mm-hmm. every and single not, person who's going to sit not on that in the way that that they even think. Because I I strongly believe that Casey Anthony would have been convicted mm-hmm. if Nancy Grace did not make her trial a circus. Like I, that that's one of my hills that I will die on. I right. you know when you make it a circus, then you create a, a high profile like a like a, a money situation where now we have now we have expensive defense attorneys now we have people in the in the gallery now we have reporting in every newspaper and so I feel like now we have a jury that's like even more like hyped up about what to do and what not to do and I I feel like that creates acquittals which is maybe fine if the person's not guilty like I don't know if Casey sure. Anthony did it but I do think with the evidence that was presented she would have been convicted if it were not a circus. Well, you also have an issue with, you know, you can sequester a jury all you want. You can tell a jury yeah, not don't. to read stuff. Like, there's no one on earth who believes that. And there becomes a question of what is my responsibility as a journalist, if that's what we're going to call Nancy Grace, mm-hmm. and what's what's ethically okay to say, I can report this because it is enough 
when I say enough of a fact, I mean it's been checked, it's been sourced, mm-hmm. it's been reliably reported that I can say that without thinking, wow, I am causing an actual due process issue with mm-hmm. the the jury, with this case, um, with anything. I mean, that that's one of the things, and I believe it was the jinx, where the filmmakers of the jinx like withheld mm-hmm. confessions until the finale... And then it wasn't it wasn't accurate. They doctored that audio, and so now, oh God, don't get. I'm sorry, you got you got me started no, on. No, I mean that, that, that's what this episode's going to be. Probably yeah. guys, is us doing sorry. this because it, this stuff means something not just to us because it's what we do, but it's it's important. Like it, it's, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to be self-aggrandizing. I can tell you right now, I individually am not that important of a person at all. I, you know, it's it's that's not the case. I'm just saying, you know. Today of all days, or when you have these national cases that come down with, you know, jury verdicts, you see how important the system is, and as mm-hmm. bad as the system is set up. And if you were surprised today about the verdict, you haven't been paying attention for the history of the world. Um, right. You just haven't. That there's nothing surprising about that. There, like the the system as it is, needs to exist almost in a bubble. And I'm not arguing against media being in courtrooms. I'm not arguing against the public getting. Uh, into cases, but there is a pr- an inherent problem with that when an economy of content or money is put into what is supposed to be a fair trial with due process under the Constitution of the United States. Right. And well, there's no accountability for, for right. pundits or whatever. And I want to use the jinx as an example um, because – that that came down. Everybody watched it. I watched it. And I was like, oh, my God, he confessed on the live mic and like all that. And then it came out that 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 audio was doctored. Right. And so there wasn't this. It wasn't a confession in the way that we heard it at the end of this documentary. And then because of that. So what was the documentarians? If if I'm mistaken about any of this, please let me know. No, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Yeah. Um, the documentarians were the ones that found that envelope I'm sorry, listener, if you haven't seen the jinx, but found the envelope where he had misspelled Beverly in his handwriting that matched the other envelope that was sent by the killer um, for the woman that was his friend that was that was shot. And then that handwriting analysis, which is dubious as well, but that handwriting analysis was used as evidence in, in the in the case. And now that the filmmakers have doctored fucking audio to make their documentary better and were also the ones that gave those envelopes to, yep. or the one envelope to the police. Now it becomes the question of, did they doctor this envelope as well? So now as a documentarian or a pseudo journalist or whatever, a true crime flirt flirt that you are, you've undercut the prosecution's ability to get a conviction in that case. Yes. And, and that's what I think these, you know, I, I feel like Nancy Grace and the, these other these other pundits that are out there think, oh, I'm drumming up national attention for case X. But what they really do is before the trial, they talk about all the evidence that's going to come out. She did this. They did that. Like, you're going to see this. And, you know, every week it's like more evidence about, let's say, Casey Anthony. And then the juror that watched that show goes and sits in that jury box and they don't see half of the shit right. that Nancy Grace told them they were going to see. And then they start to think, I've been lied to by the prosecutor. Like, what are are those things not? And then they question everything, and then you get a acquittal. And right. I, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, 
but that's what happens is we oversell these cases. And then when you get into the courtroom, none of that's admissible or none of it's real. Right. And it becomes a bastardized version of what it's supposed to be. And mm-hmm. so when you get jurors, like you said, get into the situation, they get in the box and they're like, okay, I'm going to be on a trial. And it doesn't turn out to be the the thing that they were expecting or the mm-hmm. evidence that they think exists in all the cases. And that, that's, that's a broader problem, not just with true crime, but also just with, I, I think, journalism. Lot, journalism, television shows, a lack mm-hmm. of civic education and public education where right. you're not really taught these things, you know. It's it's sort of a where did you learn you know the right to remain silent? Well, I watched a lot of Law and Order, so I've I've mm-hmm. heard of I've heard of that. So you get these issues. Evidentiary ones are huge, and I'm glad you brought that up because there's just no there's no rules of evidence on TV, and I don't think anybody. And by the way, I'm not saying you should, but there are rules of evidence that say that is not good enough to make it into this case. That mm-hmm. does not have, you know, when you hear, I've heard us on prior pods talk about objection foundation, objection hearsay, uh, ob- objection, you know, this person is not qualified to testify to that expert opinion, whatever it is. Those are all rules of the game designed to have parameters around the credibility of information that goes before the people who are ultimately making the decision, which is the mm-hmm. jury. And the problem, as you've talked about, which maybe all of this stuff leads to acquittals, is after today, okay, if, you know, there's a lot of evidence and a lot of this stuff in the Rittenhouse case obviously is on tape. Obviously, there are admissions, there are discussions with law enforcement, all of those things. But the people cannot appeal this. I've seen this a bunch on Twitter today where they're like, well, they'll just appeal it and we'll get a retrial. You have no, the the district attorney's office has no appellate rights to Mm -mm. appeal a not guilty verdict. That doesn't happen. You know, I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, they could appeal the judge's rulings. That's called an interlocutory appeal. They need to take a Miss writ. that chance. They yeah. missed that chance. That's not available to them. Mm-hmm. And so once there is, I, I literally, and by the way, if this is new information to you and you're saying, oh my God, I didn't know that. I want you to know that I did a trial with a district attorney who argued in front of a judge that there were, <laughs> they a, could. That there, that there were a bunch of cases where the district attorney got a conviction overturned or not a conviction overturned, I'm sorry, a, a retrial because of something the defense attorney did in a closing argument. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, you that's very interesting. I'd love to see the sites to those cases because the people do not have mm-hmm. uh, appellate when rights. When he says the people, he means the people of California or the state or the government. It, it's called different things in different Yes, states. I'm sorry. Um, the prosecution. They don't have appellate rights in these cases. So the, the district attorney or the state's attorney in Kenosha can't file an appeal to say, hey, there were all these errors in the case, which led to this uh, acquittal. It's done. Mm-hmm. It's this over. Is, this is now to the civil. This is that's the what, civil That's lawsuit. what double jeopardy is, everybody. Yes. Yeah, like yep. that's, you guys know about that, right? And, and, by, and by the way, we're going to Can't wait to that. do that movie with Ashley Judd. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> see, see, you thought we were just meandering, but we got home. We, we got we there. We took it back. We took it back. Yeah, it's not all serious. We got Ashley Judd in the case now. So, and and I I want to be clear. I'm not I'm not saying that this this true crime reporting always is is always cuts toward acquittals. I think there are tons of cases where we could say that it cuts the other way, where where innocent people were convicted due to the inflammatory nature of, yes. of true crime reporting. I, I only like kind of emphasize that it can also lead to acquittals because I feel like 
people like Nancy Grace are not always having the effect they think they have. It's still not okay to have the effect right. of right. of pressing on the scales on the side of conviction. But I think that's what she thinks she's doing when she's convinced somebody's guilty. And that's not okay. But I think sometimes she's actually doing the opposite is all right. I, I well, was trying and, to say. And I don't, I don't watch a ton of Nancy Grace, but I can't remember well, I a do. single clip where she's been talking about how the accused is innocent. No, that and I, and that's a pro- come on, like that's yes. such that's such a fucking problem. That, no, that exactly like that's oh took the God. words out of my mouth. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rail on it because I think you guys get it. But when you're sitting in the chair, like it or not, you're innocent until proven guilty, and that may offend you. Like I've seen a bunch of tweets about you know this was with the um, Petito case where people were mm-hmm. saying you know he's a He's a a suspect, therefore he doesn't have the right to remain silent. Like, that sort of nonsense. I get that it's frustrating. But I can promise you that it does a hell of a lot more good than bad. Like, that is there to protect you. And when you're, if you are in that situation, you're going to be damn happy that those rights are there to protect you. And and the the hypocrisy of it also kind of... It's, it's because because that's how we feel grotesque. when when it's somebody who publicly we think is guilty. But you know, when we're when we're talking about somebody who's been a true crime darling on on one of these documentaries or podcasts, now all of a sudden, how, how dare they not give him a new trial or five new trials or fifteen exactly. more appeals? And how can it just be done now after the trial? You know, and it's like for somebody if 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 Rittenhouse had been guilty today and gotten five more new trials because there was a podcast or something saying right. that he shouldn't have been, we would be mad. But we don't feel that way when somebody is a making a murderer a right. guilty person. You know, it's like, I, it just it just waffles. And I, I think people don't see their own hypocrisy when they just change their, yep. their opinion on something just based on whether they personally think the person is guilty. Again, based on true crime reporting, which may not even be accurate. <laughs> well, and this is the last time I'm going to harp on, well, I can't promise that, but it's my goal to be the last time I harp on evidence. But all of this stuff is based on evidence. You know, strip out all the confusing words you may hear on TV from uh, attorney pundits and all that dumb shit. Understand... That once you get into a trial, it's about, I need to prove using evidence mm-hmm. above, beyond a reasonable doubt, in order to convict a defendant. That's what I'm trying to do as a prosecutor. You are not hearing, seeing, or any other experience the amount of evidence that is actually in the trial. A true, a true crime podcast, a true crime show, a true crime book cannot present you everything that was in that trial. Mm-hmm. You're not going to read every ounce of a transcript. You're not Mm-mm. going to see every frame of a video. You're not going to be able to see the actual physical evidence, all of that stuff. So whatever decision you are making, and trust me, I've listened to true crime podcasts. I've watched true crime shows. I've come to what I think are conclusions or at least mm-hmm. leanings as to whether I think Stephen Avery did it or whether mm-hmm. Adnan Syed did it or whatever it might be, you know, but... I also have to kind of put the governor on that and say, you do not know everything that happened in that trial. Mm -hmm. These shows are meant to get ratings, they're meant to get money, and they are meant to entertain. And let me tell you a story. If you've ever sat in a trial, they're not that entertaining. Mm -mm. There's an entertaining moment here and there, but it's real slow, and it's real dull, and it's 
kind of a it's kind of a nothingness mm-hmm. where it's procedural. It's consistent procedural mm-hmm. madness, and it's boring. And yeah. that's why you don't see it. So all these bombshells that happen in court, you sit there and you watch the show and you walk out and you go, I can't believe they would make that decision. Those bombshells happen four days apart. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and I think the journalists sometimes who are sitting in the trial feel like they have to have reporting at the end of the day that sensationalizes what happened. I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, but I was involved in um, in the trial of Private Manning, the WikiLeaks trial. I, I don't know if I've mentioned the story before, but like something happened in the courtroom. I was involved in that case. It, I ended up being the person that handled the situation. I'm trying to be very um, uh, <laughs> sanitized. You're, you're doing a great job. Like, I I'm... was the person that handled it. <laughs> I had been, I, I was sharing air with a New York Times reporter when this thing went down. I watched the whole thing. I handled the whole thing. I made decisions. I saw what that guy saw. I knew, I, like, he had his credentials. I know who he was. And then I read about it in the New York Times the next day, and it was just not even close to what happened. I mean, right. not, and, and it, it just, that was like the day the scales fell from my eyes. It was like I couldn't believe that, like, the New York Times and it wasn't the paper it, of record. It, put your respect on yeah, it. Yeah, and, and now if I'm a true crime podcaster and I see something in the New York Times, I'm like, okay, that's good. I'm going to put that in my true crime podcast. Or if I'm even like a very serious journalist, you quote the New York Times. That's great. And but it was just like not not true, and I right. I, I couldn't believe that. And I think it happens a lot. You know, yeah. it's very I don't know. Anyway, well, and, and a lot of the good stuff that comes out of these shows or, or pods or whatever is. I wish they would focus more on the grand sort of systemic issues mm-hmm. that exist in the criminal justice system as opposed to necessarily taking evidence or issues that happened in court or issues that happened in a trial, taking them wildly out of context and having no nuance or understanding about where that that thing came from, that fact or whatever, and making four episodes around that and simply talk about, like, for me in The Making a Murderer, it was one of my intros into what I would call this modern wave of true crime. Mm-hmm. I was more fascinated with, like, let's talk more about the malfeasance in the sheriff's department in the 85 case or 83 case or whatever that led to his wrongful conviction. Like, that's more interesting to me mm-hmm. than me at home not being in the court, not seeing all the evidence, not hearing the arguments in front of me, trying to make an informed decision. That's not possible. It's just not possible to do that. You know, I I have in probably the last four or five years become way more familiar with the Amanda Knox uh, Mm -hmm. story. And that is just fucking heartbreaking what happened Mm -hmm. to her. Not just what happened to her because of the uh, Italian law enforcement, the Italian courts, American fucking media, Nancy fucking Grace, like, holy shit. Go back and look at the coverage of Amanda Knox and what happened to her when very quickly after that investigation, they found the guy who did it. Mm -hmm. I don't remember a ton of retractions, do you? I don't remember a lot of stories about how we got that wrong. Mm -hmm. But I... I also haven't seen the new Matt Damon movie, so maybe that does that. Maybe still wanted to see that. <laughs> that was mean. That was mean, and it was an attack. Yes, it was. All right, so we okay. We're going to go back to the movie briefly, <laughs> and then I'm sure we're going to turn right back into this onto the same lane. Yep. But basically, 
A guy contacts Libby, the sole survivor of her family uh, massacre, and says, I'm a member of a special club called the Kill Club, which is a true crime club who are amateur, quote-unquote, citizen detectives who solve crimes, and we'll give you money to come talk to our club. Which is, and he says to her, like, you know how people read about celebrities in gossip magazines? You know how people collect baseball cards? Like, that's our interest in crime. Um... And we're obsessed with murders and mysteries and like everyone in the club has a case that they like that they're trying to like solve. And and when you come, bring some souvenirs from your childhood yeah. that some of us might want to buy. And that's it's just <laughs> it's and, nuts. And, and, and here's the thing. That's a real thing. It's real. It's that's all real. real. Crime con fucking thing. Crime con exists. Yeah, it it's exists. Nuts. And like and I, I guess I'll say this here. This is one of the things that really upsets me about true crime. Because you were saying there are some there are some good that comes of it sometimes. Sure. It's like a spotlight is shown on something. But it's a very special spotlight that only shines on certain areas. And those areas are like pretty and white, white. and rich. Yep. And, and also a certain type of crime. Because like if you're out there and you're like quote unquote obsessed with true crime – you don't you don't want to watch a show or listen to a podcast about a robbery or a burglary or a domestic abuse incident or child victim images, what's usually called child pornography colloquially, or even homicides that aren't like fun for you. Like right. I, I've watched probably a thousand videos of kids getting raped. Do you want to hear a podcast about that? Right. Probably not. You probably yeah. don't want to hear that. Like you know, people say, oh, well, I'm just passionate about, like, unsolved cases and, like, solving mysteries. And it's like, okay, like, two guys got in a fight over a pack of cigarettes in um, 1987, and one shot the other and ran away, and we never caught him. Do you want a podcast about that? Right. Because that's a cold case. That's your average cold case. Like, are we going to do a whole show of, like... The, you know, the argument over drugs that happened five years ago and we never caught the guy who shot the other guy. Like, no, because no one's like pretty and rich and white. Exactly. Nope. Uh, and yes. and that really bothers me. You're not obsessed with true crime. If you, like no one is obsessed with true crime except for like you and me and the people we work with. <laughs> right. You know? Yes. You're, you're obsessed with characters in a mystery novel or, or a mystery TV show or a drama that, that you think is like, that's fi- that gets to be fictional for you. Yeah, you, I don't want it to be too sort of too real, too disgusting, too bad, too... Right. Can't be too uh, sad. It can't be too sad. I, I need to have, I, I need to have a vision of a person who did it that I hate. Mm-hmm. And then I need to have a vision of the the victim that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then victim I has can, to be likable. Yes. A hundred percent. And and let me tell you a little story. A lot of people who die in murders are very unlikable people. Mm-hmm. They I didn't not, deserve to die in a murder. No, that's not. I, I can't tell you the amount of murders where the victim is a drug dealer, is a, is a bad, as a, is a bad person. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It's a murder. Mm-hmm. And that person has a mom and has a brother and has a wife or a husband and just be and but but they're never going to get like oh. they weren't wearing enough Patagonia <laughs> yeah. for you to care. So yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's they don't get it, a Reddit thread where everybody tries right, to track down right. their killer. They don't get it, Kim Kardashian trying to like get their death penalty appeal through. Like I just I sorry, that's a that's the defense side of things, but still I just yeah. like No, what, it what? is well and, and, and there's you know, I think that's one thing that this movie gets right is cast Charlize Theron. People mm-hmm. would send Charlize Theron money. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I send her like eighty bucks a month just mm-hmm. Like, trying to get that thing you do, too, off the ground. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> there are things that this movie does well. One of them is that she's, like, pretty and was, like, a, a little blonde girl. A very cute and little girl. The other thing I think they do really well is that she's grown up with so much trauma that she's completely paralyzed, can't work, can't do anything. Her house is disgusting. She's yeah. disgusting. You could smell Everything that she movie. wears and does, and yeah, yes. you can smell exactly what she's like. And I, I think that's really interesting because people thought that they were sending money to and supporting like a little girl who was going to be a survivor and grow up and, you know, do things that those people imagined she was going to do. And she didn't. And she's she's now a disgusting person in many ways. I, yes. I really like that they did that. I also like when they get to the kill club. This is kind of what we were talking about is. Lyle, who, like, greets her like a celebrity, he's the Kill Club guy that go Nicholas Holt, who tries to go find her and stuff, um, he introduces her to the other people at the Kill Club and says, this is Libby, her family was at the Kansas Massacre. Because he can't even say in front of her, he's devoted his life to solving this crime or whatever. He can't even fucking say in front of her, her family was murdered. Because right. she's right there. And it's like, yeah, man, because it's real. And like, you yeah. can't even like, oh, I loved it. Your, um, your, your, your line is just so perfect with it's not sports. It's, yeah, not, it's not sports. Fucking sports. It's not sports. It's not a TV show. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she goes to this club. A guy pretty much narrates the entire crime for everyone in front of her, like everything that happens. Somehow they have the crime scene photographs, which doesn't surprise me. Um, that would happen in real life. Yep. Um, there's a lady there that's like in love with her brother, I would say. Um, that's in, in a worse movie or book, that was the tattooed name on his wrist. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a lady there who's, who's like devoted her whole life to getting Libby's brother acquitted. And, you know, she turns out to be right in this movie, but that's a 50 50 toss up. Like, whether those people, because you don't know anything. You, and, it, it's always a 50 50 toss up, even if they knew something when it's like, oh, this conviction is based on an eight year old girl mm-hmm. who went through a traumatic incident. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, of course it's 50 50. Like, yeah. And that lady, like, calls her a liar there yeah. in the room. Oh, it's it's awful. And it's it's something that. You know, there's such a desire to be right about these things. Mm-hmm. And I hate to go like grade school math teacher about this, but I'm not going to give this woman or anybody else credit about being right about something unless you show your work and show mm-hmm. me that you got there the right way because you didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think this woman was like, oh, his, you know, mom signed a contract with a killer mm-hmm. to stage a, a murder. And then also this other girl yeah. choked at like, sorry, I'm jumping way ahead, but like that woman, all she thought was he's innocent. Good for her. That's mm-hmm. great. Enjoy that. You're right. Mm-hmm. But you didn't like solve it. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the thing is like what she's like, you don't even know your brother. He draws, he writes poetry. And it's like, yes, because everyone who stands trial for like a heinous crime is also a person. Yep. And I, I've represented a lot of people who committed heinous crimes. 
and I I've liked almost all of them. I have a card in my office. I think I've told you about this. I represented uh, or helped. I was on the defense team for a, a, a person who's not good, not a good person. Mm-hmm. I had nothing but fantastic interactions with him, with his family. Mm-hmm. He sent me a card, and he's a he's a bad dude. Did some bad stuff, involved with mm-hmm. some bad people. The fucking handwriting is spectacular. He's an artist. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> font. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a tattoo artist, and this this card is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's also still done some bad stuff. Everyone is a whole person. You know, yeah, like exactly. victims are whole people who do good things and bad things, and and so are defendants. Like even yeah. even your Hannibal Lecters will well, it, you know. I'm glad you said that because that led me you. to this. Well, that that led me to this. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Ted Bundy fascination. I mean, there's like 15 Ted Bundy. Let's make Ted Bundy as likable as humanly possible. That's another one of my issues with this true crime stuff is like, we know what Mm -hmm. Ted Bundy did. He said what he did. We may not know the extent of everything, but this desire to just sort of, again, romanticize this serial killer because maybe Mm -hmm. he was charming. Maybe he was good looking, whatever, completely ignores the fact that his victims had families that continue to live through this every time Zach Efron's every making a movie about it. Time. Every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget. Elijah Woods got a movie about him, mm-hmm. I think, coming out or TV show or something. It's just like, I'm not blaming those two individuals in general. I'm just saying there's more than 10 current Ted Bundy projects in the works or have mm-hmm. just been released. What the fuck are we doing? Yeah, Ted Bundy, Dahmer, like, you yeah. know, Gacy, the the whole thing. And let's make um, them hot. You know, let's make sure that we make them hot. Yeah, well, not Gacy, but yeah. Well, right. But, <laughs> yeah. I know. mean, the the families of the victims and and honestly, the families of the of the assailant or the, the defendant as well. They're innocent as well. They don't want to live through that shit. They don't want to live again. through it either. I think I watched the um the the documentary about um Michelle McNamara and the Golden State Killer, which think about what her, what you will. But in the last episode, they interview a family member of uh, the Golden State Killer. And his interview was more heartbreaking. Well, to, to me, like, you know, I, I thought his interview was one of the most heartbreaking interviews that was done. And they went through and interviewed all of his surviving victims and, you know, family members and all kinds of stuff. And the the guy that was his family member was so heartbreaking and you don't think about that either you know you always think about the families of the victims the families of the defendants are also innocent and have been dragged through yeah anyway i just no. it it i mean we're gonna sound like a broken record but i think at the end of the day it's just important to understand that there's a lot of other people involved when mm-hmm. you continue to trudge up all of these things for the sake of entertainment right and there needs to be some personal ethical responsibility taken on the part of these sensationalists of these true crime producers. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying don't produce true crime. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that. But what I am saying is if you're going to endeavor to do that, you need to really think about what the purpose is of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like not, not just why you're doing it. I'm not saying that you're a bad person if you do it and you're a good person if you don't. I'm saying just like anything else, there has to be some sort of care. And really in these cases, I think a heightened care around what you're saying. And, and you know, I, I didn't really expect to talk about this, but I think that that's one of the really, the things I really liked about 
I watched only murders in the building. It's a Steve Martin, Martin short, uh, comedy. I love Mm -hmm. it. It was great, but they kind of are, are investigating a murder that happened in their building while the investigation for the cops is still going on or not going on or whatever. But they make, they're kind of taking the piss out of what we're talking about, which is they make all these mistakes where they're just Mm -hmm. like, let's just throw information out there. Let's do these things. And, I enjoyed watching that happen because I think there's a lot of people who watch true crime that are watching that and laughing at it and saying, what the fuck are those guys doing? Not understanding that's what they do. They're doing the same thing. They're doing the same goddamn thing. And so I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And when talking about the ethics of it, I mean, if you're, if you're a podcaster, you're, even if you're just a casual tweeter about this stuff, apply the same standards across the board. Like I was listening yeah. to a podcast. I, I I was I was listening to a true crime podcast that I thought was okay. And I heard a woman kind of within the same couple of hours say that Richard Ramirez's attorneys should have phoned in that defense because he was so clearly guilty and so clearly a serial killer who killed so many people. And, you know, kind of be like, wow, these guys are trash bags because they're filing motions and they're calling people liars. And how dare they suggest that the police screwed up? You know, it's Richard Ramirez. Like, this guy's a serial killer. How do you not phone that? Like, what she literally said was, how do you not phone that in if you're representing Richard Ramirez? And then, like, a couple hours later said that Adnan Syed should get a new trial because his defense attorney was so bad. Can't have it both ways. With, with, no, with no irony. Had no, yeah. <laughs> had, had no idea, you know? And, you know, that it's that kind of thing. Just think about it a little bit well, in and, a big and, system sort of a way. And by the way, you know, I think a lot of people, rightfully so, point out the inconsistencies, not only uh, racially in this criminal justice system, but just right. in general with the, how the criminal justice system is applied mm-hmm. case to case to case. And the the complaint, one of the chief complaints I hear a lot is it should be applied equally all the time. Well, mm-hmm. that comes with representation. You know, you, you want your lawyer. I don't care how guilty they are. And you've heard us say this over and over again. It's the prosecution's burden to prove the case. They shouldn't be filing cases and proceeding on cases that they don't have a good faith belief that they can mm-hmm. prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And then guess what? It's your job to do it mm-hmm. if you're the prosecutor. And mm-hmm. if you have it, Stone cold habit. And I'm not I'm not talking about, you know, obviously there are racial implications, there are socioeconomic implications. I'm just saying on the whole, if you have it, you've got a really good chance at getting a conviction because the system is conviction oriented. Mm-hmm. So this is this is something where when people talk about like, oh, the defense attorney should phone it in. Well, you don't want Richard Ramirez to get another trial, right? Of course right. not. Well, if I phone it in, he gets a new trial. Mm-hmm. If he gets to say, I was on trial for multiple murders, my defense attorney did no investigation mm-hmm. and, and had no interviews of any witnesses. Didn't cross-examine didn't anyone. Didn't cross-examine anyone. You know, wa- mm-hmm. walked up and said, well, you didn't see him personally, right? No? Okay. And then walked back to the uh, chair, gave a half-hearted closing argument. Never mm-hmm. objected to any motions in limine, nothing like that. He gets a new trial. That's called ineffective assistance of counsel. We go back to the starting line. So, again, that kind of goes back to what we've been talking about is, is I, I don't think people 
have taken the time to educate themselves on exactly what the parameters are of the criminal justice system in order to have certain takes that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's let's like let's move on a little bit. So it's. <laughs> By the way, guys, I hope you understand. We love you. Uh huh. Okay, we're big fans of you guys. Some of you. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, obviously. Like, hey, mom. Um, but <laughs> like, <laughs> but. This is this is probably one of the most frustrating episodes that you're ever going to hear us do because this shit is so maddening. Like I get it is so ma- I'm so mad all the time about it all the I time. I know. Like we we have we talk about this way more than we should, but we're not actually yelling at you. No. I'd like to I'd like to say we're yelling to you. To you. To yeah. you, not mm-hmm. at you. Yeah. Um just I a wanna... good loud lecture. <laughs> I want to switch gears a little bit because there are other things in this movie that I think are fun. We can't let you get out of here without talking about Satan. Movie brief things to talk about. Well, I was going to start with that it's heavily implied that Corey Stoll slash Ben had like a false confession, maybe even in the courtroom. Um, I wanted them to dig more into that. And I was like, did I just get bored and miss it or what? Well, he it shows him testifying about like. Being so basically, this kid, her brother Ben, was like doing say some satanic stuff, hanging around with some satanists. Well, cute girls make you do weird shit, man. Yeah, and not like she's not that cute. Like for 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 that for that area. Fair enough. Okay, okay. but I'm just like, okay, listen, you've got to be like real cute shit for me to want to like okay? go kill a cow for Satan. Like, for me to take an axe and go axe up a cow for Satan, you better be real cute. And I just feel like she's not at that level. But whatever, you know. Um, Chloe Chloe Grace Moretz catching strays. Look at that. I'm sorry. I Like, no, she's great. I like what... I don't even... Why are you making me say I like her? I don't I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I didn't say you have to like her. She's fine. Anyway, so... Uh, he he gets on the stand and he's like, Satan makes you do this. Satan makes you do that. Like, we're all animals and, like, we're going to kill and stuff. Um, so it's implied that he testified in a way that was, like, not great for his case and or confessed to this crime that he did not do. Um, and it, I just wanted to mention it because I feel like it's very similar to child forensic interviewing and child testimony, whereas... If you if you work on the defense side, you go to conventions and trainings and you like have your little circle jerks about how like there's false confessions all the time, like all the time, everybody. And if you're on the prosecution side, you do the same thing. You go to conventions, you go to little trainings, you do circle jerks about how never has there ever been a false confession. And there's thousands of studies on either side about whether people falsely confess to crimes. Yeah, and and there's no there's no halfway with anybody. Like there's no nuance put around that discussion. It's basically it's a, either a clear confession. Like I, you know, there there are some confessions where they're out there, and it's not really a did you do it. Like people get pulled over and they say, "Oh, I knew I shouldn't have had those beers." Mm-hmm. Like that's not the type of confession we're no, talking about. No, no, we're talking about Brendan Avery. We're talking about yes. Exactly. Um, about this guy who who says to his sister when when Libby goes to visit him, you know, I, I was the kid no no one liked and no one respected in school. And then everyone was listening to me when I was on that witness stand and they were afraid of me. And I got to be the cool guy. And I said some shit that I probably shouldn't have. Um, right. And that's what ends up happening. 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of real stuff in this in this yeah. show that sort of they highlight what happens. It's just a bad movie. Yeah. Uh, and the thing <laughs> you is, know, like, it's... you'll meet a pro. I, I know prosecutors who believe there has never been a false confession. And right. I know defense attorneys who think they happen so much, like that every yeah. confession is coerced. And it's something yeah. it's something in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. It's in yeah. the middle. The the funny part to me is every time I hear a prosecutor tell me that, well, why would he have, like, every time, why would he have said it if it wasn't true? So many, if so I many hear, reasons. Like, I, I almost want to retire, so I never hear that again. Mm-hmm. Just stop. That's not an argument. Mm-hmm. Okay? Use use your big words. Don't just say, why would it have, why would he have done it if it, if it, if he didn't do yep. it? Fucking stop doing that, please. <laughs> but, uh, just, I'm sorry, that, that happened to me, like. Four days. Oh, okay. So. All right. See, it seemed <laughs> fresh. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's no. I've I've still got a band aid on that cut. And then the other thing they kind of touch on in this movie is a satanic panic in the eighties and early nineties because this this murder situation happened in the eighties, um, and this kid was kind of convicted due to being a satanist and also yep. the 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 sister's um, testimony that she saw him do it. Um, but okay, so that, that was a big one. Yeah, that, that was that, one. was that was a big part of it. Um, <laughs> and and you know, satanic panic was real. People were convicted based on just kind of being like shady kids who wore you know like satanic jewelry and stuff like yeah, that. You know, West Mes- Memphis Three was yeah. a real thing. Um, yep. There were all those daycare cases in the eighties where like kids said that they were being molested and there were satanic cults and stuff that just ended up not being true. Like there was a, there were several cases like that. Um, but in those cases, those people, as far as I know, weren't weren't sacrificing cows to Satan. <laughs> and no, it was made no. up. There's a very very vicious because. Yeah, kid really is making sacrifices to satan which i do think is kind of relevant and he is going around saying that we have to kill things to give satan the blood that he needs so yeah and and (laughs) killing animals that's that's a relevant situation yeah it's relevant Um, i i really wish that gillian flynn and i know i understand what i'm saying would have had some nuance um, to not make him killing animals and making satanic sacrifices, because that's what really happens in real life. You just see a weird kid, and then somebody hears right. a rumor about something, and then suddenly he's a Satanist, and now he's the primary suspect in Murder X, and now we've got a trial. Well, and and I, I mean, this is this is kind of a fun little exercise, I guess, is that is a type of piece of evidence, okay, that you're going to hear on Nancy Grace. This kid is a Satanist. Right? He killed yeah. a cow. Mm-hmm. That happened. Mm-hmm. But that is a piece of evidence as a juror you may not hear because that is a very good motion in limine. And a motion in limine, I can't remember if we talked about it, but these are motions that are run after you're sent out for trial in front of your trial judge, but before the trial actually starts, where you're sussing out what's the evidence that's going to come in, mm-hmm. what's the evidence that's not going to come mm-hmm. in. And so that is a very cognizable motion to say, Your Honor, as a defense attorney, I'm obviously arguing to keep all that out because I'm saying, Hey, that's not relevant. Mm-hmm. Like that has no relevance as to whether he committed the act that he is accused of committing. Mm-hmm. I don't care if he killed a cow or went fishing and cut the head off of a fish eight months mm-hmm. earlier. That could not be less relevant. Right. Okay. The prosecution is going to argue the other side of that. Right. And I think that's a that's that's one of those judge dependent mm-hmm. decisions. And 
Okay. Here's the thing. The fact That's a close one. that the kid was a creepy satanic kid is never mm-hmm. gonna come in. That that right. the fact that he's just kind of generally a weird kid or wore pentagrams or liked Satan and this kind of music or whatever it is, not gonna come in. The fact that he killed a cow and is going around like sacrificing various lives to Satan. May or may not, depending on your judge. Because there's an escalation argument on the side of the prosecution. (laughs) There's a relevance argument on the side of the defense. So that's one of those things that Mac was talking about earlier where she's like, hey, these jurors are going to be disappointed because they think they're being lied Mm -hmm. to. Because I didn't see on Nancy Grace when I was watching it, or I saw that on that, but I didn't see that in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's another thing where... (laughs) There's just, there's always more going on. And if you're not willing to sort of investigate what that is, Mm -hmm. you're definitely serving a meal that's short a few ingredients. Right. And we don't mean the fun investigate. We mean like the the boring investigate. And the really boring. You don't want to do that. It's not going to make a great TikTok. Um, Okay. No. (laughs) So. We've got to start. We should have TikTok. Oh, we should TikTok the whole thing. Um, We've only done, you know, about an hour 10. So I'm sure it'll fit. Um, this is I've got a file stamp copy just, of some documents oh, perfect, over here. I can just hold those perfect. up. Perfect. That's great. Um yeah. I I want to talk about this. Okay, so Libby goes and finds Chrissy, who is a girl that accused her brother of like doing inappropriate stuff with her. It doesn't really matter for Listen, this movie's the worst. He was yeah, he was accused of molesting her. Um and the thing is yeah, I think the girl was 13 and he was 17. 12 or yeah. 13 or something, yeah. Um, But Libby, the sister, who testified that the brother killed her whole family um, and has had that credibility questioned for her entire life, goes to talk to Chrissy, who told everyone that Ben molested her and has that credibility questioned her entire life. And Libby doesn't know whether... Ben molested Chrissy. She wasn't there. She just knows Ben and thinks that he didn't. Chrissy doesn't know whether Ben killed Libby's entire family. She just knew Ben back then and thinks he probably didn't. And they both call each other lying whores. And I Right. And I just I just wanted to touch on this because I think it it's we believe ourselves, right? Like we believe the stories we tell ourselves about who did what and and what's going on in the world and our own narratives, like our narrative for what we think the world is like and should be. Like we believe our own stories about who we think is guilty and innocent. And we usually believe strangers who also fit into that narrative, who we see on the news or we see on Nancy Grace or whatever. But so like I can sit here and say, I believe women, right? Like when women come forward and say, I was raped. I believe women, right? Right. If somebody came forward tomorrow and said that you did something, I don't know how I would feel, right? Because I've right. known you for 20 years and I know exactly who you are. And and I think right. that that kind of hypocrisy where it's like, well, I believe my thing about this person, but I think your thing is a fucking lion. You're a whore. And then them just doing that at each other was really interesting in this movie. Yes. That's all. There's always going to be confirmation bias in ourselves, and we see this all the time. I've said X. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say X in an investigation if I'm a witness three, four, five times before I get to trial. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so I have to make sure X holds, mm-hmm. right? Well, in your head, you tell those things that those things to yourself enough, it becomes 
mm-hmm. like your truth. That's that's what happened for you. And you could pass and, a lie you know, detector, I'm, whether that's true or could, false. Absolutely. You say it out loud so many times that you believe it, you're going to pass. 100%. And, you know, I'm dealing with an appeal right now where I have escalating every every step of the investigation, uh, ori- original report, secondary report, criminal trial testimony, civil trial deposition, all just the accusations keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger mm-hmm, and bigger mm-hmm. and bigger. And, you know, pointing that out and knowing what to do with that is it's a hard call on my part. Like, they're, they're, you know, that could be true and they could just be more comfortable the older they get mm-hmm. expanding a little bit more on what happened. Mm-hmm. Or they could be like, oh, money's on the line now. I'm making it up and I'm, I'm going forward. And I think it was a really interesting, not just that they called each other out on on that stuff, but also on uh, Drea DiMatteo's character as to whether that happened. Or since I said it happened, mm-hmm. I have to make that true. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You, you double down. I think I've told you about the case that I had where there were seven eyewitnesses to an event. Yes. So there was an event. Seven people saw it at the time. Two years later, we're, we're getting ready to tr- for trial. I'm the defense attorney. I bring in the seven people that said that they saw the thing that they said. And they probably did see something. I don't know. I wasn't there. But all of them, when I talked to them two years later, and they're all friends, so they've been telling this story to each other in their own heads, you know, to others for two years. All of the people who I talked to two years later believed they stopped, they personally, individually, stopped the crime as it was happening. Like that they jumped on (laughs) the bad guy and stopped the crime. All of them, all of them had been telling this story so often that they had made themselves the hero and they believed it. Like these weren't liars. Like I I wasn't, I don't think they did anything wrong. I think they really believed that. It just became so distorted. And I'm telling you, seven people did not jump in and stop this crime. No people jumped in and stopped (laughs) this crime. Like I know that for a fact. That did not happen. So I have a question for you just from a, from a, uh, prosecution standpoint mm-hmm. seven to me percipient witnesses to the event mm-hmm. because having seven witnesses in a case is not unique because there's typically different stages to an event so you'll have witnesses that say yes i saw him park outside the bar but that's all they can sure. testify to and then you get somebody else that says yes i saw him grab the pool cue and then i left i know he was playing pool and and the stages but to have seven percipient yeah. witnesses to the event that just screams nightmare to me as a prosecutor. Well, the thing, yeah, yeah, and the, I'm sure the prosecutor was like, "Yes, I have seven people that say that it happened." Right, and to me, I'm just thinking like, "Well, it needs to go to trial right now, mm-hmm. or I'm gonna have this really this issue that you ended up running into, where you're just like, holy shit." Right. I, I'm not saying that I know that none of them stopped it because I have special secret information or anything. I know none of them stopped it because seven of them got the chance to see it. Like seven of them yeah. entered the room. You don't like right. get seven people in a room if somebody immediately stops what's going on. Stop. You it. know what I mean? Right. Like the fact that yeah. they were all there makes their whole thing not true. Um, yeah, it, it's just memory is so nuts. And we had a memory expert testify in that trial talking about um, he used an example of a uh, a bank robbery that really happened that had no guns involved. Um, where people were using kind of like their jackets, the finger in the jacket sort of thing. Yep. And 
everyone was so afraid and like believed that there was a gun at the time that the bank robbery happened that everyone involved in the bank robbery testified that they physically saw a gun like they saw a black <laughs> pistol they they described it they knew exactly what the gun looked like and it had been like pointed at them or near them they saw it and there just factually was no gun and like there's video footage right like the the instance that I've run into on a couple of occasions, not not super often. Um, I'll go ahead and say that uh, it's probably going to continue to happen more and more. As I'm not trying to blame everything in the world on true crime, but as becoming a character in an mm-hmm. investigation becomes more of a way to become famous for a minute, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, whether it's money or exposure or whatever, mm-hmm. are people creating an instance? where they're a witness or creating a fact and the 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 way to become a character that gets screen time or that gets airtime or whatever is to have the coolest detail mm-hmm. is to have the most dramatic detail right. so i've run into a couple of cases where witnesses and this is this is me this is my conjecture because i was able to prove that they were lying i was able to prove that they were not being accurate, whether I mean, some of these have photos, mm-hmm. for God's sake. Like you said, there's photos in this bank robbery, right. like, ain't no gun. Mm-hmm. But you just sit there and go, here's what ends up happening is they tell the cops a story. And that story may leave out a detail. Well, the cops usually circle back after the DA reviews the case and says, hey, I want to talk to this person again. Well, they've told a friend, oh, I wanted to make this story more interesting at the bar. So I added a knife to mm-hmm. it or something. Well, now I'm. I'm married to that because you're going to be asked like, hey, have you told anybody else this? Yes, I told. I've talked to my buddy about mm-hmm. it because it was scary. They talked to the buddy. Yeah, the guy pulled a knife. Well, you didn't say the knife the first time. Oh, no, there was definitely a knife. I For sure. So that becomes part of the narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's about telling the best story or being, I was in the most danger or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And there's not really a solution to that. That's human nature right. to want to be the most interesting person in the room. And that's a very big problem with witness testimony. And I think it's only going to get worse. And that, I mean, what you're describing is intentional or at least pseudo-intentional. But sure. the the um, the memory expert that I talked to um, was saying that every time, every time you think about something, um, so like, you know, say we have a shared experience, every time the two of us talk about it, or every time even independently, individually, we think about it, something reminds us of it, your memory rewrites it, fully rewrites wow, that's it, cool. re-records it. See, see, that's fascinating to me. That whole thing is just fascinating. Yeah. So if I tell the story differently to you right now, my memory is going to re-record. So if I embellish a detail or if I just am mistaken and I fill in a gap with something that I think probably happened in between where my memory is no longer good my memory re-records that incident. And so that becomes now my memory. Unless unless I know I'm consciously lying. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, I mean, ugh, 20 years later, five years later, two months later, it's just not the same anymore. It's just it's just completely different. Uh, so nothing you've told me is, is true. Yeah, well. That's what I mean, I'm... <laughs> well, yeah. Let's not go down that road. <laughs> like, let, let's yeah, not. Let's, I don't, we, I don't we, know we don't that we've ever that, been... This is not no, that show. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> we we can have that show but, after we're done recording. <laughs> no, the the memory expert stuff. I've, I haven't had one in trial. I've listened to one on a different trial. Is really interesting to me because it, it sort of begs the question. 
do we ever want to listen to witness testimony? Is any of it worth anything? It becomes... If it's not... Yeah, and it becomes much harder to gauge the credibility of a witness based on... Like, as a juror, which, again, we've talked about, we will never be. It's very unlikely we will ever be a juror. Bullshit. But sitting there... (laughs) I know, right? Um, Sitting there and thinking about a witness testimony because... You know, I'm going to do a trial in February Mm -hmm. that is five years old. It's a retrial, but it's it's five years old, and there's going to be a witness, and the cop, the witness is going to be a cop Mm -hmm. who's a perfect. I I consider that a professional witness. Mm -hmm. Like they do that for a living. Mm -hmm. I can promise you, if he wasn't able to review, I'm not even saying his report, but if he wasn't able to review his testimony from the prior prior trial, which he will be able to read that. Mm -hmm. He would get it wrong mm-hmm. 100% of the time. Does it mean he's lying? No. no. Does it mean he's wrong? Yes. What do I do with that credibility determination? You know, that's mm-hmm. that that becomes an impossible needle to thread. Mm-hmm. And that person's testifying, he has his job on the line. Like if he says yes. something wrong or he if he accidentally embellishes a detail or purposefully embellishes a detail, I mean, he that that's his whole thing. That could be his entire career. If he yep. if he gets something wrong on the stand, and now and take it's also that guy, about convicting, right? <laughs> you know, it's about getting it right to convict, right? That too, but I'm just saying, like, he could get giglioed too, which is yes. like, you know, you embellish something or you say something that didn't happen, and then your your career is gone, right? Yes, you know, um, put put that next to a civilian witness who their only interest is getting the conviction or getting the acquittal, depending on who they're testifying for, and they don't they don't have any. Uh, repercussions like if they embellish something you know besides just kind of looking like an asshole if somebody catches them you know and that's that's a whole that's a whole other bag of bullshit um anyway okay all right okay what's going on in the film um (laughs) we killed the cow i do want to say this we're talking about them calling each other lying whores yes so chrissy did kiss ben they had a kiss, the 17-year-old and the 12-year-old, right? Yes. And then she went to a slumber party. And then he said, we can't do it. That's gross. And I'm not going to kiss you ever again. And then they, she went to a slumber party and made up a bunch of details about how she, like, did, I don't know, sex with him or whatever. Yeah, I think it was oral sex or something. And then yeah. she had to double down on that because her parents found out and it became a whole thing. So she did an intentional lie that she then had to double down on. And yes. then on the other side of the coin, Libby, I think, thought she was telling the truth the whole time. Like, she believed that she had a memory of her brother killing her family. Yeah, that and was so, a trauma victim and walked into a conclusion. Right. And, and yeah, and she was she was uh, suggestible at the time. And so we've got, you know, exactly what we're talking about, the two different kinds of inaccurate testimony right there. Um, okay, let's see. What else? What else? I, I do want to say this, that there is a Native American character in this uh, movie named Trey Tipano. And can we yes. not, can we not like put TP in the last mm-hmm. name of our only that, Native American character? Cause then I Googled that last name and it's really not a last name. So like Gillian, come on. Yeah. And, and that character <laughs> not, not handled well, not handled great, but I just was nope. like, can we not just be like, mm, I've got a Native American character. What should I call him? TP Tipano. That's it. Yeah. That's what we'll call him. Anyway, yeah, we'll sorry. call him Trey TP, and he's going to do a lot of drugs and yeah, kill it's animals. Gonna, and that's that's what his character let's is. Put um, what, uh, braided pigtails. Is that what we should do? Anyway, obviously. Um. No okay. Okay. So is that is that it? Is that all the crime stuff? I, I think mean, that's... that's kind of all the crime. They they end up obviously 
Trey ends up telling her, hey, you need to go talk to Chloe Grace Moretz all grown up because she had the kid. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that basically, I I guess I'm jumping to the end, but we mentioned it already. The mom was in dire straits financially, and she thought the only way to save her family, she was married to a shitbag named Sean Bridgers. He's fantastic. And she's like, I'm screwed. The only way to save my family, I'm going to lose the house, whatever, is I'll make this look like a murder. There will be life insurance funds that will take care of my kids. And so she called this guy who did for a living. He was a serial killer who um, killed people. Mm-hmm. And they, he got like a contract from them. Mm-hmm. And he would kill them, and that would be that. Well, he came in. He was only supposed to kill her. He ends up killing her and a daughter. But Chloe Grace Moretz's character also hated the other daughter and choked her out and killed her. On the same night, which is, like, so Gillian Flynn. Like, give us an ending that we could have figured out, ma'am. Like, don't... Yeah. Jesus, that's what a mystery is. Like, you have to... Breadcrumbs, ma'am. Breadcrumbs. (laughs) Um... But and so all that comes together, and then uh, Charlize goes and sees the Chloe Grace Moretz character all grown up, and she's got a daughter, and they try to kill right. Charlize, mm-hmm. which never goes well, because mm-hmm. she's immortal. Sure. And then it comes out that, hey, uh, this serial killer killed the family, and uh, the brother gets out. Yeah. and. But and- I you know there's a part where she's hiding in the woods from uh, from Drea and uh, and her I guess niece um, which like I don't know if we ever truly established that that kid was his but like whatevs because like right she, we're, she, we're we're asked to buy a lot in this movie I'll yeah. go ahead and buy that I I yeah I guess but like that was not her only boyfriend um <laughs> hey hey yes, that's enough. Right. Of you making fun of Miss Moretz. All right, I'm so I'm We're so done so, with that. here. We're done with that. We stand, Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> um, so I I just want to say, like, she's in the forest, and she was in the forest hiding from uh from the killer when she was a child as well. Um, and then like the memories all come flooding back, and I don't know. So what that would be probably is is a writ. Yeah. So. A, a witness has changed her testimony. We need a new trial. That would take years. Um, but I don't. I don't know that that would be successful for him. That his sister decided thirty years later. Well, they had. I, I think what it is. It, it would be a writ. It would for certainly be a writ. Um, it could be quorum nobis. It could be habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. Based on new evidence uncovered, when you're doing a writ like that, which I'm currently writing, uh, if you have new evidence, it needs. Oh, to Oh, I know. <laughs> Right? That's why this took so long to record. Mm -hmm. You have to bring that new evidence that you're going to put in the writ. It has to be done with due diligence. It can't be something that could have been discovered at the time of the trial and things like that. And they have the serial killer guy. They have have Drea. Like, in this particular circumstance, I think it's fine. But, like, just her changing, I I don't know that that works. I don't know that that works either. I think what ends up happening... Is it would have to be her testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there would be experts that would, you know, mental they experts would, that would talk to her, forensic experts that would talk to her, they would her. Absolutely destroy her. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
with in this circumstance they had I want to say like the contracts from the serial killer like they caught the serial killer yeah. and there was a way the to team actually of old, tie old the guys the team of like old private investigators the same guys right. who found the zodiac quote unquote figured right. out that this serial killer uh killed her mom in the meantime and, on the very day that oh, Chloe Grace Moretz all grown up was trying to murder her like so many fucking coincidence coincidences yeah. in yeah, her it's books. not a good movie guys no. don't watch it We've um, acted it for you way better. Yes. Than, so yeah, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. But you got to go. So we got to wrap this up, right? I do. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I hate to put the lid on it in only 90 minutes, but. Really? I, I thought I thought we were going to rant for like way longer than this. <laughs> well, I have no doubt that we're going to stop recording and then rant for another 20 minutes. Sure. And then whatever. Yeah. Um, so what what what's next? What are we doing next? We do. Oh, oh. Um. There's no awards, guys, because there was no lawyers. Yeah, um, sorry. Awards, real quick. Uh, best murder serial killer guy. Yeah, uh, he was. It, it was between that and the cow, and I, I'm not down for the cow. Yeah. Oh, I, did we? Did I mention Christina Hendricks? Was it? I think I did. Yeah, it's like the cast is stupid good in this. Yeah, hottest um, Corey Stoll always confusing, confusing. But are the you charisma. Some stuff? Are no, you okay? I'm always working through something with Corey Stoll. I don't understand it, and it's like he's he he casts a spell that I just don't understand. Anyway, I, I, want, like I just Corey wanted... Stoll. Don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a Corey Stoll guy, but like, can you just like keep it together for a minute? I just feel we... like every episode we do, I kind of low key give a hottest award, and I haven't this time. Okay. And I wanted oh, okay. everyone to know that in terms of who could get it in the film, yep, the answer is Corey Stoll. And I honestly <laughs> kind of like that he has Chloe Grace Moretz like porn name tattooed on his arm. I feel yep. like weirdly that's a pro for me, and I <laughs> that is something I probably need to work through. I guess I would say, I mean, if we're doing that award, obviously Charlize is fantastic. Christina Hendricks is wonderful. I got to go with Sean Bridgers. Just a That's guy funny. in the movie who knows who he is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he gets his place in the world. He's a shitbag. But, but, like, geez. I, just in terms of, beard. like, here's the thing. Here's, here's a hot take. I think of the characters in this film, Corey Stoll, who's been in state prison in Kansas. Mm-hmm. We assume in Kansas. Yep. For 28 years, smells the best. Smells the best. I'm going to say far. of everyone in this movie. This movie smells so bad. <laughs> so everyone it's is hard so stinky. To watch. I, this is a true story. I sat down to watch it the other day, again, because I watched it a while back, and mm-hmm. then I was like, I probably need to reinvest, uh, reinvest some time in watching it. Made myself a little bowl of cereal. Mm-hmm. Okay? Couldn't eat it. Sat down, could not touch yeah. it. Uh huh. Yep. Just gross. Just mm-hmm. gross. The true crime people are stinky. And it's Corey Stoll versus Sean Bridgers. As a fellow man with a beard right now, I feel like I got to give it to Bridgers. Let's let's not lie. Full-fledged. And you know is... what? A year from now, when you think back on this, you're going to think you had a beard. And it was a fucking lie. I'm watching the video right <laughs> now. It is a lie. Nah, it's, this is... This is... This like man Chrissy has Adam never shit. had this a beard. Is... I've seen this man have not shaved for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And no, no. It never... Right now, I am basically the Jeremiah Johnson meme. Oh, my God. Just smiling by the stream. your dreams, with a big my friend. Eight pound beard. Um, okay, so what's, what's our next. Uh... What's our next? What do we want to do? Flim Flam. Yes. Oh, are we going to do God's Not Dead 2? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Yes, we are. I just <laughs> choked on the goodness of that idea. Sorry, I I, I said it a couple weeks ago. I sent you the trailer. I yes, you did. 
God's uh, Not Dead 2. Yeah. Okay, so guys, we're going to get into some First Amendment <laughs> uh, issues. Just go check uh, out that trailer and just, just roll check around out God's in it. Not Are we if, gonna, if here's, I, here's a question. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to have to like buy a DVD of this? <laughs> I don't know I if think, it's available. Are we going to have to I give these people money? I think it's possible that we pro- I probably have to go to Melissa Joan Hart's house. It, it's possible. I think it's I think it's actually very possible that we have to go to like God's Not Dead dot biz and buy it <laughs> from the from the website For like thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah, and give these people money. Like I think that's I I a, refuse a, to do that. Mm hmm. For this film, so what I'm gonna say because it's think a we propaganda a... machine for the uh, yes. for the Christian right. Yes, um, people are apparently going to prison for saying God in a public school for saying Jesus uh, in a school, yes. and there's a trial. Who's the guy? Spoiler alert! Who's, who's... that doesn't happen? Uh, oh God, I hate him, and he fucked up Newsies on Dancing with the Stars too. Wasn't he the? Isn't he the guy from like John Tucker Must Die or Tad yes, Tucker yeah, Must that Die. guy. Yeah. From I'm, Desperate Housewives. Oh, I can't well, remember it. I believe Anyway. Jesse something, right? I that sounds... That's right. Metcalf? Jesse Metcalf? Did we work it out? No. Did we figure it out? That, Did I just... Hmm. That, it's possible. Let us know, I guys. think that's right. Let us know. Um, we we are going to do God's Not Dead 2, but if we have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to a, like a really fringe religious group, we're not going to do that. You're we'll right. We'll let you know what the new, what the new one will be. Uh, so it's God, God's Not Dead 2... Subject to availability. Should we should we choose a second place now? Yes, let's choose a second place. Yes, what were you going to say that. before I yelled God's I, Not Dead 2? I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to cough. Oh. Hmm. Which is not a movie. No. We could do. Is it, I mean, is it Lincoln Lawyer? Are we, is that Is it time for the Lincoln Lawyer? Is it time for the Lincoln Lawyer? Yeah, Is it time for that. my life story? Should we do that? Oh my God, I can't. If you're going to, if it's going to be like that, if, if it's going to be. If it's going to be like that, I don't know that I can oh, do it. First of all, it's not that it's like that. I mean, you, uh, if we do the Lincoln like Lawyer next and like it's going to be your... I don't know. I don't know. I can't deal with it. Then, okay, if we do that, then the next... We have to do the Pelican Brief after that because that's my life okay. story. All right. So what we're going to do is the, the next episode, guys, is going to be God's Not Dead 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we have to pay some, like, you know, religious fee for mm-hmm. that. It's going to be Lincoln Lawyer. Mm-hmm. Watch that fire Twitter page uh, for us to yeah. find out what all that fifty of be. our Twitter followers will be. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, this was awesome. I know it was probably a little more intense than we thought it was going to be. Sorry. But this is this is a this is a hangnail for us big it's time. Important. So yeah. Okay. Um, all right. I think that means that we're in recess. Yes. We're in recess. Later, guys. Bye.